finished up a series in Nehemiah called um, uh, Under Construction, and the idea was that all of our lives in some way are under construction. There's, there's always another, when we're talking about being created in the image of God and trying to live a life like his son, there's always another step. To, to go. And so when we look at our lives, uh, we see where we are now, and then we see where God wants us to be, and we look at kind of that gap, and we say, man, that's daunting. And so we were talking about uh, what it's like to have vision, the vision of what God uh, would have for us in our lives. And so uh, we're done with that series, and now we have, um, we're a- entering into a new thing this morning, just one, it's a one-series sermon. And this is it, and then we'll start another one uh, uh, in a couple weeks. But this is just uh, one series, and it's out of Second Kings uh, chapter 6 and 7. But we're going to talk about chapter 7, so I want to kind of gear up to chapter 7 and give you what's been going on in chapter 6. So basically what happened is, in 900 B.C., you've got to remember, in B.C. you count backwards. So 900 is uh, actually not newer, it's older than 850. See, see that? Because it goes all the way to zero and then starts up. Okay, you guys knew that, but I always get confused because they say, you know, seven years later at 893, and I go, wait a minute, but that's how it goes. So at 900 BC, the kingdom uh, of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom was Israel, and that had a series of kings come into northern Israel uh, that were bad. Okay, and so uh, what would have to happen is these prophets would have to come and tell these kings that what they were doing is wrong. And in in two weeks, we're going to talk about one of those prophets, Amos. We're going to go through the entire book of Amos in one morning, uh, in 35 or 38 minutes, whichever uh, I I land on, right? The entire book of Amos. So don't freak out. We're not going to read it all, but we're going to go over it. But that Amos is a story about a prophet who goes to that northern kingdom of Israel and says, what you're doing is wrong. Well, this happened with a prophet called Elisha. And Elisha went to um, uh, a king called uh, Jehoram and said, what you're doing is wrong and God's going to punish you. And so what happened was Jehoram was in this city called Samaria and another, uh, the, um, uh, um, I always get it wrong. I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. The um, Arameans, I always want to say Arameans. I don't even, that's not even a word. The Arameans, okay? I, and I have to look at it to get it. So bear with me. So, because it's about them, and so I'm going to be doing that a lot. The Arameans, they come and they besiege the city, which means they surround it. And so Elisha's in there, um, uh, king, the king's in there, and they, they basically surround it, and they don't let anybody leave, and they don't let anybody come uh, uh, to go in. And so you can imagine what, has, what happens. First day one, everyone's like, you know, up on the wall yelling, uh-huh, you can't get us, you know, you're afraid to come attack. But day two, day three, day four, and all of a sudden week two, week three, what has to happen is they, they start running out of food. Well, you can read about it in, 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 in chapter 6. As a matter of fact, they start eating each other. And there's a story in chapter 6 that's so horrific, I won't even read it here, but when you get home and you put the kids to bed and you like, get a flashlight up to your face and you can, you can read this story to your spouse and she'll get all freaked out. But there's a story in there that's very scary, very weird. I'm not going to read it this morning. It's in chapter 6. 
And so the, w- the way they describe it is that a donkey's head, this is, I, the Bible is, if you guys don't read your Bible, you are missing out on some really great stuff. A donkey's head, just the head, would sell for $15,000. This is how hungry they were getting. They started selling dove dung to eat. Okay, not the dove, because, you know, you eat the dove, there's no more dung to have, right? So they sell, I don't know how they get it. I don't know if they scraped it off the whatever. I don't know how they got it. But that's how dire it got. Now, now it, it, oftentimes when we read the New Testament, read the Old Testament, we kind of lose touch with what was really going on. But think about that. Imagine we're all in Garden Grove, or maybe we're just here at the church and we get besieged by somebody we get surrounded and they decide to starve us out at first it's fun it's a big party you know we got power we got gen playing it's like awesome this is great yeah we'll just have a church service you know and that goes for about an hour and then everyone gets bored and they're like i want to go home and watch the world cup which you guys are doing all right i don't know if you're tivoing it now or whatever but uh and, and so we begin to run out of food we begin to go and it starts getting really really dire and you're in charge of your house and you're trying to figure out how am i going to feed these kids and and you've got all this stuff going on because you're besieged <laughs> you're surrounded now what happens is at the wall there were four lepers and they start thinking to themselves you know now, now, to understand what's going on, a leper in those days had no rights. They were out of the city. The only way they were going to get anything is if they begged. They were law. They were done. They were dead. I mean, they were just, there was just, they just, they had no means of being able to get out of the situation. They were lepers. So there's four of them, and they're at this gate. And they start thinking to themselves, well, we can't go in the city because, well, here, I'll read it to you. It's in uh, chapter 7. It says this. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, now listen to the situation they are in right now. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the uh, Arameans I almost said Arameans again. I don't know why I want to say that. Arameans. And surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. Which, yeah, that's kind of what killing you is. But uh, apparently, they said if they kill us, we die. But you can see the situation they're in. They've only got one option, and that option isn't very good. So what do they do? At dusk, they decide, let's go turn ourselves in. And say, hey, don't read ahead. I'm telling you a story. I can see some of you are reading ahead. Okay, so here's what happens. It's dusk. They head out, and you can imagine it's dusk. It's getting dark. They probably want to show up when it's a little dark if they have leprosy because they don't want to just, you know, they want to have a chance to say something. They show up, and nobody's there. As a matter of fact, the New American Standard says, behold, no one was there, which means, check this out, nobody was there. Imagine this. You won't believe this. Nobody was there. And so here they come. Now now listen. They get there, and the camp's still there. There's still tents set up. There's food in the tents. There's gold and silver in the tents. There's horses that are uh, bridled there. There's donkeys there, but no people. And it says, 
For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Now, you're a leper and you got your leper buddies, right? And you decide, I'm going to take this risk and we're going to turn ourselves in. And all of a sudden, you show up at a tent and there's a bunch of food, right? There's some, something to drink there. You got silver and gold. And guess what they do? They start eating. I mean, they start feasting on this stuff. And they go, and after the alcohol wears off or whatever, or they're just c- completely bloated, they go and hide some silver and gold, and they go to the next tent, And you can imagine tents all around this city and four guys going from tent to tent to tent, just eating, hiding stuff, all that kind of stuff. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be, I mean, if you were going to, if you had leprosy and you were going to die and the people who weren't there dying in there and all of a sudden you made this discovery, would that not be the most awesome discovery you've ever had in your life? all alone you ever had that dream where everybody on earth leaves wasn't will smith in a movie like that right everyone leaves of course they had zombies that were trying to eat him so forget that part but you know you you go you go you know and and you start thinking oh man i could do anything i want i could go i'll just go in i'll watch a movie i don't care right this is what this has happened to them everybody's gone so what do they do what would you do See, because there's something inside of all of us that kind of gets, well, that's cool for a while, but they can't eat all that food. They can't hide all that stuff. And there's a starving city right behind them. Why don't they go back? Why don't they say something? Well, that's exactly what they do. They go back. As a matter of fact, they say this. This is an amazing, amazing statement. And, and you, 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 you'll see where we're going on this, because really, how does a story from 850 B.C. with leprous people, zombies, and, you know, oh, no, that was the Will Smith thing, uh, leprous people and starving people, you know, how does that apply to us today? Listen to what they say. I say this. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. See, there's something in all of us that when we discover something huge, we, we have an obligation to share it with those who are dying. And, and, you know, we all have this in us. I mean, if we were all starving and then I found a big thing of food back there and you found out that I'd had that the whole time, you'd get mad at me. If I were stashing a Snickers bar or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you, you know, sneaking it, you'd be like, hey, you had a Snickers bar. You sn-. There's something in us that knows this already. And, and here, here's, here's our point for this morning. You can put this on your, on, your, on your thing. With discovery comes responsibility. Spider-Man said with great power comes responsibility, but he, it's, he's Spider-Man. It's, it's a fictitious character. No, with discovery comes responsibility. See, we know this. We, we know this. If I, if I found the cure to cancer and my, my son had cancer and I just healed my son and was like, cool, and went on my merry way, there'd be something wrong about that. Well, these lepers, they go back. 
and they go to the city gate and they tell the guy at the gate, go tell the king, you'll never guess what happened. The uh, Arameans, almost like, the Arameans are gone. So the guy at the gate tells the other guy, you know, it does, they don't have phones or walkie-talkies back then, so it gets all the way to the king and the guy says, these lepers are outside. They're telling us that there's nobody there and the king and his brilliant wisdom, because remember, this is a very brilliant king, goes, eh, it's probably just a trap. Forget about it. And one of the advisors goes, hey, okay, but don't you think it'd be good just to check? And he basically says, or we'll just sit here and die. Like, do you, uh, do you see the logic? And maybe sending somebody out. So it says they took a couple of the remaining horses. Like, there was just, this, this is it. This is their big thing. They get in the horse. They get in the chariot. They ride out. And sure enough, nobody's there. And that all the way, the road all the way to the Jordan River is just strewn with clothes and swords and shields and stuff. They just, these people freaked out and they left. And they left all this kind of stuff. I mean, clothes was a big deal back then. Everything was handmade. It, didn't have, it wasn't imported on some container. They, they, they were expensive. This was a huge, huge find. And so the people come rushing out the gate, and they go, and they, they, they have a feast. They basically plunder the entire army without ever having to, I was going to say with a shot fired, but with a sword drawn, I guess, back then, because they didn't. Okay, uh, so this is what happens. Because what? Because the lepers did what they were supposed to do. As a matter of fact, there's another side part of the story that's so cool. The day before, Elisha said this was going to happen. This guy came to kill Elisha and said, Elisha basically said, what are you killing me for? Tomorrow everything will be fine. Oh, but you won't be able to experience any of it. And the guy's like, what? And the very next day, he was the one that opened the gate and everybody trampled him to death. So it happened. It solved the problem and he died just like Elisha said. So cool. Read your Bibles. Lots of cool stuff in here. Well, where, where am I going with that? I think you know where I'm going. See, I don't know if you remember when you first came to Christ. I don't know if you remember when, maybe it was, maybe you were too young, maybe you, um, and, but, but maybe when you came back to Christ, or maybe when you'd been living um, kind of as a Christian for a long time, and all of a sudden, it began to be so real to you. It began to totally transform your life. And, and you began to maybe see things in the scripture you didn't see before, or, or maybe you got into a small group, you'd never been in a small group before, and you got in a small group, and you're like, this is glorious. These people are awesome. We're holding each other accountable, and I'm learning more about the Bible than I ever did. And, and you begin to, your life begins to change, and you begin to see raising your kids differently than you ever did before. And maybe you began to see your marriage in a different way, and you began to rejoice in laying down your life for your wife. Or as a wife, you just began to rejoice in submitting to your husband. Just like the Bible said, it, was, it started working for you. Or maybe you started looking at your sexuality completely different, or your finances completely different. And, and your discretionary time started being used up, and you got up in the morning, and you're like, this is awesome. I didn't know this was all in here. I thought it was just boring. I thought it was just numbers. Don't, if you're starting to read the Bible, don't start with Genesis. Start with like James, something that is exciting and applicable for you. Okay, you don't have to read it all in the way. Some of you guys are like, that, that sounds like heresy. Start with something great that encourages you to read your Bible. You've all been there or are on your way there. You, you, you just had this discovery. Well, with that great discovery, with discovering the book of Philippians going, wow, Jesus is amazing. 
with discovering the book of James and going, man, I can ask God for wisdom. This is incredible. With that discovery comes a responsibility. And what I want to challenge us to do this morning is to begin to kind of get our head up out of the feasting in the tent and, 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 and out of the hoarding of the riches of our quiet time and out of the hoarding of the riches and the hiding of stuff from our small group and out of uh, kind of just going to church Sunday after Sunday and we begin to ask ourselves a question as the lepers did. In the middle of the second tent, they started to say, you know what? What, what we're doing isn't right. And, and, and look, at the, look at the wording that's used. It's so incredible. It says, they said to each other, what we're doing, uh, uh, what uh, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. And what I want to talk about this morning is three, three points kind of of how um, maybe a different vision of evangelism that you've ever had before. A, a different vision of sharing your faith that maybe you haven't had before because anybody i you could stand up here and start talking about sharing your faith and make me feel guilty if i'm sitting there i could stand up here and make you feel guilty it's just very easy i think the church has been making our, each other feel guilty on this very topic long enough and what I want to do is I want to begin to open up our eyes to maybe some other ways of sharing our faith, some other ways of, of going about seeing the world, going about seeing our small groups, seeing church on Sunday, seeing our quiet times, to maybe give us a little more leeway in how we do this. When I was a little kid, I, uh, um, I played t-ball, uh, which was great because the ball didn't move. I, I started getting bad at baseball once the ball started to move and they started throwing it at me as what I felt like when I was in the, because I was always scared the ball was going to hit me. And so in tee ball, you put the ball on the tee and they give you a bat and they, you know, they do just like you're hitting a pinata. They kind of set you in front and then run because they know you're just going to take a swing. So they put you there and, and you swing at, at, at the ball and you normally just hit the tee because you're trying so hard to hit the ball. And the ball drops. And then what do all the parents do? They cheer. They don't boo. What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> what kind of t-ball did you grow up playing? Right? They cheer. Right? They cheer. They go, yay! Go, go! And the kid runs. I mean, he's just, he's, he's hit a home run. He hit the ball off the tee. It's amazing that he hit a home run. And then as the kid starts getting older, he starts to learn, oh, that's failure, actually. It's supposed to go farther. It's supposed to go farther. Then as he progresses, it gets harder and harder and harder, and then only base hits count, uh, and then soon it's just like home runs, that's the thing. And I think that's what we've done with evangelism. We only count home runs, and we go over this quite a bit in our 301 class that we'll be starting again in the fall about sharing your faith. We only count home runs. It's just like, did, did they accept Christ? Did they raise their hand? Did they do? And there's so much more that goes into sharing our faith than just sign on the dotted line. It's not inviting someone over, seeing if they'll go out Amway, and if they don't, you never talk to them again. There's a lot more to sharing your faith than that. 
And that's what I want to see us begin to change the way we look at it. When I was in T-ball, I would get so nervous, I'd actually pee in my pants a little bit. That's how scared I was. And so I thought I could hide it by putting dirt there. But everybody knew. And what was it? It was cute back then. Oh, he's nervous, right? And so, so I'd cover it up. And then, yeah, I was, I was super scared. I was super nervous, right? And this is what happens when we, every time we share our faith. For some reason, there's this thing in us that just gets crazy. Like if I don't, if I don't knock it out of the park or if I don't say the right thing or what if they ask me a question and what if it doesn't go the way I thought and what if they, yeah, you know, can God build a rock so big that he can't move it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And we, we get all caught up in this stuff. I want to give you three things to keep in the back of your mind uh, that, that you can write down that we're, gonna, we're going to celebrate at Living Spring. And I'll give you all three right now. Invest, invite, and include. That is our ministry evangelism strategy here at Living Spring. I stole two, the first two, from another church, and then we added one more. Um, which was probably an idea from another church. I don't know. But those, I just love this idea of invest, invite, include. We invest in people. We invest in their lives. And at an appropriate time, we invite them to something. And then we include them when they get here. So what I want to do <clears throat> this morning, just like those lepers, we've been saved. We have this discovery. Now, how do we share it? How do we help people uh, discover it? How do we lead them to where uh, they are? The first is Invest. How do we invest? We invest the same way Jesus invested. Jesus was the most, you know, if you're in business or whatever, you have a 401k or a retirement program, there becomes a time when you're, they call it vested, usually about five years or whatever. And that's when they know, okay, you've spent enough time, you know, in the company, you're vested. Jesus was fully vested when he died. And it wasn't just his sacrifice on the cross that was the investment. I mean, that was the big payoff. And we've talked about this before. It was the day in, day out, moment by moment, right choices that he made. It was when the Pharisee came up and pointed his finger at Jesus and said, you're an alcoholic, and Jesus didn't just go, enough, bam, just break his jaw and just, you know, Peter's pulling him back. I mean, he just, he controlled himself. Everything that God, his heavenly father, wanted him to do, he did. An incredible investment. And we too, part of our, part of evangelism is obedience to God. Part of evangelism is what God's doing in our life now and how we used to struggle with this and now we're not struggling with it so much because we found this discovery. And let me just tell you what's going on in my life. We invest in people. Let me show you how Paul describes this investment because it's, it's phenomenal the way he does it. 1 Corinthians, it's not up here um, yet. We'll get to a verse that we'll put up there. But 1 Corinthians 9.20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. He's got a purpose. So he gets around some Jews. He starts acting like a Jew. Why? To win them. That's an investment. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. You mean to tell me you're willing to give up your agenda, your belief system, your kind of way you navigate life for someone? This is what he's saying. He goes, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as 
to win those not having the law. Paul says, listen, I'm ready to invest my entire life in people so that at some point they can see what I'm about and that I'll get a chance to go to the next level with them. There's a corny statement, super corny, but I love it. You've probably already heard it, but it says, um, people don't care what you know. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And what I want us to begin to do at Living Spring, and to a large extent we do this already, is to begin to celebrate the investment. Begin to celebrate, you know, hey, I just, I just had a great week of evangelism this week. What did you do? I introduced myself to my neighbor. Awesome. Woo, woo. I can't even see the pee stain on your pants. You're doing great. You're doing fantastic. We begin to celebrate that. You know, I talked to the lady at the store, and I remembered that she needed prayer for her daughter, so I went home and I prayed for her daughter. And next week, I'm going to ask her how her daughter's doing. Awesome. Awesome. We invest. Now watch what Paul does because this is just phenomenal. This next verse is just, imagine what it would look like for us. So he says this, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Listen, I've got this great discovery. And with that discovery comes responsibility. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to identify with you however I can so that ultimately I can take you to this discovery. You will trust me enough to say, look, I got to tell you about what I found. It's incredible. I see your life, you're starving, you've got all these problems. I did too, I was even worse. I was a beggar at the gate, I had nothing. And then I made this discovery and it's phenomenal. And so we invest in that. Now what does that look like to us? I'll I'll give you a couple examples of what it looks like. To the weak, I became weak. Imagine you're a Democrat. I mean with a capital D. You are like, you voted, you voted Democrat your entire life. You've researched it. You, could t- you, can, you can say every Democrat congressman or congresswoman, you know how to vote, what to vote, all this kind of stuff. You know, you, you know everything. You listen to the right side of the dial all day long on whatever talk show that is. And you are just, you are a Democrat. As a matter of fact, you cannot stand Republicans. As far as you're concerned, they've ruined the country. And if they ever get in office again, they're just going to ruin it some more. And you go over to your neighbor's house and you say, I want to go introduce myself. And his garage door opens up and there's a life-size George Bush bobblehead. (laughs) And he has a shirt that says, you can... When you'll get my gun, when you can pry it from my dead hand or whatever. I mean, he is just as Republican as it comes. And you say, hi, my name's Leanne or Leroy or whatever. And he says, hi, how you doing? You know, how's it going? Well, it's not going good with Obama in the White House. And you go, because you've got every argument, everything, all this kind of stuff, you're all ready to go. You are going to unleash a whirlwind of statistics that is going to beg, have him on his knees begging for mercy. And you go, yeah, 
It's just hard to put our faith in government, isn't it? Uh-oh, what just happened? To the weak, you became weak. Or, you are as Republican as the day is long. You love George Bush. You love us. And you go next door, and you open it up, and it's a you know, national organization, a women thing. You got ACLU. They're listening to all sorts of, you know, MSNBC or whatever it is. And you know, you've got all your stats. You've researched it. You've got a Rush Limbaugh tattoo. You, you are there. You're going. And they talk and you just go, you know what? What I've found in my life is that it doesn't really matter. Now, maybe it does matter to you, but to the weak, you're becoming weak because their whole life is in this. And you go, I made a discovery that whether George Bush is in the White House or Barack Obama's in the White House, I have a God who's above it all. And whether they tax me out of oblivion or they give me all sorts of free government stuff, I don't care. I don't look to that. I look to my heavenly Father who knows when a sparrow falls. I'm not anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer. So wait till you come to this tent. I found a tent where you can go and pray to God and cast all your cares upon him, and when you leave the tent, you don't feel worried anymore. That is becoming weak to the weak so that you might save them. It's putting our agenda aside. Now, there are some things we can't put aside. There are some even political things that are, are moral issues that we take a stand on, right? Because the Word of God says to do that. And so I'm not saying put those things aside. Fight for those things as, as long as you can. But I'm saying that's what it would look like. It means going to a baseball game when you hate baseball. It means volunteering as an assistant coach when you don't know jack and you're on the internet until two o'clock in the morning trying to figure out i don't even know how to play rugby but i had to volunteer because i, I want to meet these parents i want to get to know their family that's investing that is an investment in the kingdom and you are doing great job evangelizing fantastic don't stop anything you're doing that's what it looks like we invest second thing we do is we invite now how do we invite well, we invest the same way Jesus did. We give our whole lives for the kingdom. We invite the same way Jesus did. Listen to this verse that we put up here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who do we invite? All. All. Jesus didn't have a checklist. He didn't have a thing. He didn't make sure, you know, fill out this survey first. We got to find. He invited all. And so everybody's on our radar. All our neighbors are on our radar. All the people at the PTA, all the people at school, all the people at work, all. Which is what, why at Living Spring, our first part of our mission statement is to reach. It's not to receive. It's not to sit here and wait. But yeah, I sure wish uh, somebody comes in. Uh, it's to go out. It's to invite it's to make a difference. He goes on in John chapter 7, verse 37. He says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Now get this, because this is disturbing. I, I don't know if you, but they're at the last and greatest day of the feast. And Jesus, in the middle of everything, stands up and says in a loud voice, Have you ever met anyone who's really loud? 
and you're just kind of, it just kind of makes you uncomfortable, and you like sink down and go, oh, please don't do this now, Jesus, come on. It's the last and greatest day of the feast. Can you just let it right? This is what, this is, that's what it looked like. He says this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the disciples are like, oh, oh, come on, dude. Sometimes inviting means, oh, God, I didn't, this is so uncomfortable. But hey, I want to invite you to something. At the appropriate time, after you've invested, at the appropriate event, we begin to invite. And yeah, it gets kind of sometimes. And listen, if you're not a Christian, if you're here and you just wanted to check out church or whatever, I'm kind of giving you a behind the scenes of why people, you know, always bug you about Jesus. It's because we can't help it. And yeah, we mess up and we say the wrong thing and you ask questions and we don't have the answer to it. It makes us feel terrible. And we go home, we're like, God, and then we look it up and we call our pastor at two o'clock in the morning. He gets mad and he's just like, why don't you? Oh, anyway, I gave you too much. But that, that, this is why. This is why. Because we've made a discovery. We've seen something and we, we want to take you to it to show you. Number three right here, uh, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke again with all the people. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, walk, will never walk in darkness, but have the, the light of life. Jesus invited everybody in all different ways. Some he went up, told Nicodemus, hey, I'm coming to your house. You're going to make me some food. What is that all about? That's just the one way he invited himself, right? No, Zacchaeus, sorry. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, sorry. Okay, and so, and so what does it look like to us? Well, it could look like anything. August 29th is our church barbecue. Everybody's invited to our church barbecue, a picnic. You can throw balls and dunk me in a dunk tank and you can tell your neighbor, God, wait, wait till you throw this ball and watch him get sunk into the thing. It'll be awesome. Right? You don't even have to invite them to church. Just invite them to the picnic afterwards. Invest and invite. Or maybe you know somebody who's got kids. August 4th, we start our VBS, Vacation Bible School, and it's every Wednesday night for four weeks. Maybe you invite them to that. Maybe, maybe we have a financial class sometime during the year, and you know they're going through financial struggles, and maybe you weren't even going to attend. But because of the investment you want to make, you say, hey, I'm going to go to this financial thing. You want to come with me? And you invite them. Why? Because you've made such a great discovery. Maybe you invite them to one of the 101 classes. You say, hey, you want to learn about, more about Christianity? Maybe you invite them to church. And, and this is why, guys, this is why on a Sunday morning we do church the way we do. There's lots of different ways to do church. And in, there are some things we do in church where we don't do it or we do do it because we know you're going to be inviting someone and we want them to feel comfortable here. And so what we try to do is create other venues of things where you can do whatever you want in the Spirit. But on Sunday morning, we have a certain agenda that you, we feel like you could invite anybody and you'll know what to expect so they'll feel welcome here. That's why we do what we do. Because we've made a great discovery and we want them to be a part of it. So you can invite them to that. You can invite them to a youth camp. You might know a high schooler who isn't doing anything this summer. And you pay 140 bucks and they go to camp with the high schoolers. That's August 19th through the 22nd. On October 24th, we're going to shut the church down on Sunday. 
you won't be able to come to church on October 24th. We're closing the doors because we're going to go out and we're going to minister in our community. We're going to go fix some houses up and help Garden Grove. We've sat down with uh, some officials at Garden Grove. They're getting us some jobs to do. We're going to ditch church. (laughs) Your pastor's going to ditch church. I'm excited because I don't have to preach, right? But listen, there are many, 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 many people who you could invite to that and they would be happy to go. Because they know life can't just be about taking, we gotta give. And so they go to that and they're hanging out with Christians and they're like, you guys aren't, don't handle snakes. We're like, no, not, you know, unless we're doing the gardening or whatever, but, you know, and, and so all of a sudden you've invited them to something that maybe they wouldn't have uh, come to before. We set our series up for this as well. So in three weeks, or four weeks, I can't remember, we're starting a series called Spiritual Boot Camp. And we're gonna go four weeks and we're gonna, we, we are, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be hardcore. We're going to be memorizing scripture. We're going to be in our Bible every day. You're going to be fasting things for that entire time. It's boot camp. Probably not something you want to invite your neighbor to, okay? But right after that is a six-week series on how to have a life of impact. That would be a great time to invite somebody to it. We talk about character issues. We talk about the Bible. And we talk about all these things. Why do we do that? Why? Because we made such a great discovery. And so we plan for this. We plan that there would be, with all the influence you're having and all the investment you're doing, there would be something here or something around that you can invite them to, maybe your small group. We invest and then we invite. And then the last thing we do is we include. Here's the problem with inviting people. They come. Man. It is such a pain. I mean, the problem is you invite them and then they come and then we got to go to two services and then maybe the music changes or maybe we used to do something and now we don't do it or maybe you knew everybody and now you don't. It's such a pain to have more people come. I just want to be in the tent. I got my little feast. I hide my little trinkets and I go away. I don't want to go back to the city. They're going to trample down the gate. They're going to come in. I had that stuff set aside for me. They're going to find it, and they're going to ruin everything. Some of the best evangelism you will ever do is including people. And I want to celebrate that. You've been in a small group maybe for 12 years, the same people every single week, and all of a sudden someone walks in and says, hey, I brought Tony, and he belches, and is like, hey, how's it going? You know, and you're like, it's ruined, man. I was going to talk about my cousin again, like I did the week before and the week before and the week before. He's going to ruin everything. And some of the best evangelism you could do is go, what did I say his name was, Tony? Who? Tony. Okay, sorry. I, I try to keep the name straight. You go, hey, Tony, how you doing, man? We're glad you're here. That you, just, you just hit it. That's it. You did it. You, you evangelized. You, you were showing them that, look, I went to this tent and I figured out it doesn't really matter who's in my small group. The Holy Spirit shows up and we just love it. We're glad you're here. And at some point, you watch what happens. It may happen on a Sunday when I just say, man, I think the Spirit of God is moving. If, if he's moved on your heart and the hands start going up and lives begin to be changed, you had a hand in that. 
you invested or you invited or you included somebody who wasn't there before because we were all in the same boat. I don't even want to know what, what I'd look like if I, if I didn't have Jesus. I mean, I got ADD. I'm obsessive compulsive. I'd be, I'd be addicted to something. I know for a fact I'd be addicted to something that you're not supposed to be addicted to. I just know it. God's, God saved me from that. I'm free. I discovered it. Listen, as the worship band returns, I want to read this one last story about the including because Jesus, he, he was at Matthew's house and he's having dinner with Matthew and the, Christian, the Pharisees came in and they're all like, what is he doing eating with all those people? Those people are not the kind of people he's supposed to be hanging out with. He shouldn't be including them. He should be including us. And again, Jesus didn't deck them, didn't cast a curse on them so that they get some type of disease. He controls himself, and he says this in Mark 2, 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, stupid. It's kind of what he says. That's the tone. But the sick, duh, we're not here for ourselves. We know. We've discovered. We got it. We got the word of God. You can go to it anytime you want. We're in a free country. Pick one up. Read it. Second Kings chapter 6. You'll read about cannibalism. It's disgusting, right? He says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's who we're going to include, sinners. Why? Because I was one. I was lost. Now I'm found. 